hub, and spoke. Audio Collective. Hi, it's Patrick Cox, and here's a special guest. Not really. This is 4D with Demi Lovato. So Demi Lovato dropped this promo the other day for a new podcast. It made news. Over the past year and a half, I've been doing some healing and self-reflective work. And through this work, I've had the revelation that I identify as non-binary. With that said, I'll officially be changing my pronouns to they, them. I feel that this best represents... It's funny, it's still news when a celeb changes their pronouns. But it's not the kind of news it might have been a few years ago. It just doesn't seem that radical or game-changing. Not quite the, you know, pearl-clutching moment that it was in years past. But there are plenty of people who still have issues with they when it's used this way as a non-gendered singular pronoun. People still get mad about it. Now, cards on the table. I'm totally fine with they. So consider what I'm about to say is, I don't know, a a thought experiment. If the word they is just too clumsy, too busy meaning other things, what if we found another word that sort of means the same? A pronoun indicating singularity, ungendered singularity. And instead of searching for an English word that might fit the bill, what if we borrowed that word from another language? and just started using it ourselves. And if you're thinking, nah, that's a bit of a silly thought experiment. Well, in Sweden, it isn't a thought experiment. It's what they did. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, a podcast about languages and the people who speak them. Today, the little pronoun that could. Back in 2018, Nina Porzuki became obsessed with this word and how it changed a language. Maybe also changed some attitudes. Maybe. Here's Nina. In 2012, Olika, a little-known publishing company in Sweden, put out a new picture book, Kiwi and Monster Dog, that sparked a national conversation. Um, Ahem. Marie Tomicic co-founded Olika Press. She was surprised by all the attention. After all, Kiwi and Monster Dog, it was a pretty simple story. It's about Kiwi waking up wanting a dog. And their parents and everything say, oh, this will be difficult. It wasn't the plot that fired up the nation. No, what stoked the flames was one single word, hen. It is about kiwi. And the kiwi, you know, is um, where we use the hen. The character kiwi uses the Swedish gender-neutral pronoun hen, H-E-N. Kiwi can be a girl, it can be a boy, it can be, uh, you know, intersex between. That is... That is up to the reader if they want to gender the person. Kiwi and Monster Dog was one of the first books to use hen. So traditionally in Swedish, there are gendered pronouns used for humans. You know, he and she. And then there's it, sometimes used for humans. Den or det. But gender-neutral hen is relatively new on the scene. 
In fact, Marie herself had only heard about the pronoun in 2010. That's two years before publishing Kiwi and Monster Dog. And then I just said to my colleague, you know, this hen, this word, this pronoun, it's, it's amazing. We, we need to be the first publishing company publishing this book. This is the future. got Patrick Cox here in the studio with me. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Nina. I wanted you to come in because Marie Tomicic, she actually sent me a copy of Kiwi and Monster Dog, the book that erupted the linguistic debate in Sweden in 2012. Uh-huh. And I do have a copy, except it's at home. <laughs> I keep so forgetting you're... to bring it into the studio. So but you I brought have... me here, but not the book. I brought you here. Mm. But but we got to get this going. So I have some pictures for you, and I wanted you to like check out. Oh right, a lot of Sweden. Oh, yeah. the drawings are there's really kiwi, nice. The... And there's all their dogs. Hund, tjuta kiwi, meg in hund. Anna sova jag inte in blund. Is that your best no, Swedish that's, impression? That's, yeah, that's my best Swedish impression. I'll save everybody right now, and let's have a little bit of uh, the book read by. A Swede. <laughs> That's a I, good idea. I enlisted uh, Karin Mules. She's a monster dog. She's a professor of Swedish at Söderton University. Mappor och pammor och morbroster gin. En bryssling, en marfor, en halvkvarts kusin. Små parvelpyssor och stolebröstrar. Alla står hon runt sängen och tröstar. Och visslar och tisslar och säger, jo visst. Någon gång möjligen, nästan helt visst. Ska hen få en hund? Kan de halvt säkert lova? She is very beautiful and melodic. Yeah, just like I did. <laughs> Um, okay, so so has the book been translated into English? Yeah, I was curious about that as well, and how the pronouns would translate. And Marie sent me a copy of the English translation. Here's a little bit. Listen carefully for the pronouns. It's not much of a promise. It sounds a bit iffy, but Kiwi calms down. Zee's asleep in a jiffy, dreaming of dachshunds with long flapping ears and fur oh so soft, it'll bring you to tears. All through the night, Kiwi sleeps like a log, dreaming of here, future sausage dog. Oh, interesting. Z and here. Yeah. Mm. Not they, them, there. So is there anything in the story about Kiwi where Kiwi identifies as, as gender non-binary or trans or anything like that? Is that what the story is, is about? No, 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 not at all. It's just about a kid dreaming of a dog. And Kiwi happens to be referred to as hen. Um, oh, so it's just like in the background. Right. It's in the linguistic background. It's just, yeah, a part of the, the language of the book. But according to Professor Karen Miles, who we heard reading the book in Swedish a little bit ago, the book sparked such a big debate because it was a book for children using that word hen. I think the children thing was really a big issue because people were sort of concerned that children would not know their own gender and would be sort of confused and unhappy for the rest of their lives and uh, and everything. So that was a big part of it. And also a big part of it was that it was sort of a mainstream proposal that everybody should use it, uh, not just some subgroups. So people felt that you should not be telling me what pronouns I will use. That was sort of part of the anger towards this uh, pronoun. So it's important to note here that the pronoun hen, according to Miles, really has two definitions in Swedish. One, it's used when you don't know the gender of a person you're talking about. For example, Molly went to the doctor and hen said Molly had a cold. 
So instead of using the default he or the awkward phrase he or she for the doctor, you can insert hen. Right. Yeah, we got the same problem in English. Exactly. And the second way hen is used is sort of as a way of identifying oneself. And hen, in this sense, is used by many non-binary and trans-identifying people. Oh, right. So that would be what, how in English you might say they or Z? Yeah. So many people might ask you, I use they, them, their pronouns. Oh, right. Right. So, so what are the origins of hen? There are many theories, but the best hypothesis is that it's a loan word from Finnish. It's a direct loan word because in Finnish, which is a country next to us, they have this uh, pronoun hen, which is uh, gender neutral, singular, third person pronoun. Finnish. Finnish. But Finnish isn't related to Swedish. That is very true. Finnish has nothing to do with Swedish. They're not related languages. But what Finnish does have is a gender-neutral pronoun, hen. Oh, right. Well, that sounds really close to hen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except it's spelt a little bit different. Uh, the Finnish word is H-A, A with little two dots over it, N. And according to Miles, the word actually entered Swedish in the 1950s and 60s. It was a Swedish professor who had a knowledge of Finnish, and he started discussing it uh, among his students, and he also wrote articles about it. So in the 50s and the 60s is the first sort of written findings of it. So traditionally, um, he, in Swedish, han, is the default generic pronoun. And in the 50s and the 60s, this was becoming more and more problematic because, you know, there are women too <laughs> that wants to be included. And lots of people thought that it was sort of clumsy to use the, the phrase he or she all the time. So that's why he came up with the idea or he was discussing the idea. But the idea never went anywhere. Until late 90s and the beginning of the new millennia, where you had a new usage that was being sort of started to, to spread. And it was um, the LGBT community that started to use it to refer to people that sort of didn't feel comfortable being called he or she. Hen is a good word. That could be, you know, some sort of uh, trans identity or non-binary identity. So they started using it and promoting it and discussing it. And also uh, radical feminists started to use it. And they used it as a sort of an alternative to always having to gender people. Fast forward to 2007. Hi. Okay, let's start. Sure. <clears throat> Hi. <laughs> Hi, my name is Anne Ugar. Anna became the poster child for Hen on the cover of a popular Swedish magazine. That period of time, I was quite androgynous and kind of difficult to know, am I a he or am I a she? Who should I be? <laughs> who, who do people expect me to be? What do I really feel by myself? I was kind of trying to to find myself a little bit. So Hen just made sense. Anna, by the way, is how I pictured the typical Swede. Tall and blonde. And on the magazine cover, Anna wears a striped button-down shirt, chin-length hair, bangs, and a shy smile. It's always kind of rewarding to see yourself in any newspaper shop. But in a way, I, I, I think I'm kind of a little bit modest. Uh, <laughs> So <laughs> I found that, okay, it's nice, both uh, for myself, uh, 
explain who am I, but also to others, who are we, we as trans persons. The magazine cover prompted conversations about the word among Swedes outside of the LGBT and radical feminist circles, Swedes in the mainstream. And there were critics, of course. At that time, 10 years ago, it was... Actually, there were people who wrote into the newspapers and they said that, well, this silly word, it means chicken in English and we can't use it and it's just ridiculous. But it was still seen as a word on the fringes, used by only certain groups. That is until 2012 when Kiwi and Monster Dog put it in a children's book. Interestingly, the debate surrounding Hen mirrors a larger conversation that was and is still happening in Sweden. Sweden has what it overtly calls a feminist foreign policy. We do. We actually have the first feministic government. <laughs> so that's Karin Olofsdotter, the Swedish ambassador to the United States there. A feminist government? What? what feministic, what is... Patrick. Feministic. Oh. A feministic government. Feministic. Anyway, what is that? What is a feministic government? Well, Sweden is on the forefront of a lot of things. Feminist foreign policy, feminist government, feminist urban planning, even feminist snow plowing. I read a couple of articles about that. There's a lot of thinking right now about gender equality. Okay, how do you do feminist snow plowing? (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay, so in a suburb of Stockholm, they enacted feminist... Snow plowing, and it's all about thinking about where the spaces that women and um, children are, are using. What are the spaces that women and children are using more frequently? Are they being plowed equally? So, for example, they tried by just plowing sidewalks and kind of parks before they plowed the main roads. It actually turned into a giant mess, and there was a lot of... Um, criticism about this. But I would imagine of- so, because, I mean, if you're, for example plowing neighborhoods and, you know, paths to schools and calling that feminist, then you're assuming that it is the mother that takes the child to school every morning rather than the father, which doesn't seem to be a very feminist way of thinking. Right. There's that. And there's also the fact that the roads are a giant mess and women also drive too, and the city sort of grinds to a halt. But the idea is that thinking more um, purposefully about how both policy and smaller things about how cities are laid out affect both men and women and if there's parity. So, you know, Sweden is in this sort of gender revolution at the moment, or at least at the forefront of gender revolution. I mean, there's a minister of gender equality. They're talking about it. They're thinking about it. No, no, they have a minister of gender gender equality. Oh, right. Mm. Right. For a while now, there's Mm. been a minister. And language plays into all of that as well. Hen has just been a, a, a tool creating a lot of uh, debate and media space. So it's been a part of that bigger discussion. The positions are very predictable if you know a person's political stance. This is linguist Mikael Parkval. He says the arguments for and against Hen during the Kiwi debates broke down into two basic camps. So if you're to the left, you think that Less gender marking in the language is going to automatically promote gender equality in society. So language is magic, and by reforming language, we automatically reform society. And if you are to the right politically, of course, you say, well, if he and she were good enough for for my grandfather, my grandparents, why shouldn't it be good enough for me? Uh, We've always done it this way. And... 
Also, we mustn't forget that language is magic. If we use less gender marking in language, it will affect society and it will make all these wonderful gender roles that we've spent so many generations developing, it'll make them crumble and we don't want that, do we? Oh, language is magic. Language is magic. It's magical. Unicorns. <laughs> Rainbows. So those were basically the, the two uh, irreconcilable positions, but both were the same underlying assumption that language equals magic equals society and language controls our minds, which, as you might expect from my choice of words here, I am a bit sceptical about. Oh, yes. Well, the linguists are sceptical about that usually. Right. That language determines how we perceive the world. Yeah, as you can tell by his sarcastic tone, Parkval thinks these arguments for and against Hen are pretty bunk. And he wrote an article refuting the claim that gender-neutral pronouns would do anything to change gender norms in Sweden. I uh, checked the gender equality in various countries, because that has been quantified by well by the UN and various organizations. And if you correlate that with the languages people speak, whether their language is gendered or non-gendered, so gendered as in Swedish or English that we differentiate he and she, or non-gendered as, and this is something people tend to forget, that is the normal state of affairs. Two-thirds of the world's languages don't make a difference between he and she. Like Finnish, like Mandarin. Right, yeah, as he, as he said, he is talking about spoken language. Because, yeah, with Mandarin, it does have distinctive male and female characters when you write them down. But he found that... There's absolutely no correlation between the pronoun system and the equality in the country in question. I mean, Turkish has a gender-neutral pronoun system, and there is absolutely no survey that would indicate that Turkey is more equal in terms of gender than Sweden. Mm. So it, it goes against all your feelings, your gut feelings, that if you speak more equitably, you'll think more equitably. It's not necessarily true. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that somewhere like Turkey, they're not debating it in the way that they're debating. It's just that's the way it is in the Turkish language, and so right. everybody just accepts it. But in Swedish, if they're making this switch, they're not just adopting a new word, and maybe that's not going to, in and of itself, like change attitudes or anything. But the very fact that they're adopting a word means that they're also taking on a whole debate. The whole of society is taking on this debate and saying, you know, is equality something that we should strive for? Right. Beyond language, got nothing to do with language. It's just that trying to make a change in language brings up the debate. Right. So, so trying to actively think about language in that way and change it and talk about it in the culture may result in in more gender equality maybe across the board. But just because your language innately has no gender or gender does not mean that your culture is necessarily more equitable. Okay, so what's happened in Sweden in these few years since all of this debate has been raging? More on that after a quick break. Okay, I'm here to very quickly thank you for listening to Subtitle. I'm glad you like it enough to listen through this far. We would love to hear from you, especially if you have suggestions for new topics to cover. Please let us know. You can email us at subtitlepod at gmail.com. That's subtitlepod at gmail.com. Not just your suggestions. Send us feedback, criticism. We can take it. Believe it or not, 
I actually find criticism quite useful. Some of it, anyway. Also, do please rate and review us wherever you're listening. One sentence will do it, and as many rating stars as you like. Here's a lovely recent review, and I quote, For an amateur language fan, it tickles all the right spots in my noggin. Oh, isn't that great? Here's another. Pure linguistic gold. Wow, bling. Please rate and review us. Thank you. In the six years since the Kivian monster dog debate, hen has come a pretty long way. It's entered the dictionary, for one thing, or the glossary. So the Swedish Academy put it in their glossaries. The Swedish Academy, you might know, they hand out the Nobel Prizes, but they Ooh, also <laughs> are in charge of two dictionaries. Um, so th- that's happened. Um, but I was a little bit curious about, you know, the, you know, man on the street, like, or woman on the street, or gender Hen on the street. Hen on the street. Like, is this word actually being used? So on a freezing afternoon this February. Oh, it's so cold. <laughs> I spoke with a few folks in a square in Stockholm. Hand. Hen. H-E-N. Hen. Hen. What does it mean, hen? Hoon. Ah. Hen. Hen. Okay. Have you heard it before? No. I didn't. No. This is the first time. I think definitely younger people are more, I'd just say, up to date with yeah. how to use the word. From the beginning, I thought it was like the animal hen, and I didn't like it. But now I'm used to it, so now I say it myself. I think I thought it was maybe like a little weird at first, but then I got used to it. Do you think 10 years from now, nobody's even going to think about that it's a new word, that it's just going to be part of the language? Like Right, I think like, it's like that now. Nobody's lifting an eyebrow if you use hen instead of he or she. Linguist Mikhail Parkval isn't surprised that people are getting used to it. The main thing I would say that has happened is that it has become more common and pretty much automatically as something becomes more frequent, it more or less by definition becomes less of a statement, less less extreme. So it becomes something for for the entire family, you know, something that everyone can enjoy. And that applies to, you know, whatever piece of clothing or a hairstyle or music ta- musical genre or whatever, and also to a word. The, of course, the more people use it, the less extreme it is perceived. But what does impress him is the fact that hen caught on in such a short period of time. So remember, again, this debate took place in 2012. It was just three years before the pronoun entered, you know, the dictionary. And now... People on the street are using it or saying they're using it. So that's impressive. Pronouns are, in linguist jargon, they belong to closed lexical classes. So any language borrows or generates new nouns or new adjectives or new verbs all the time. But pronouns, prepositions and those kinds of lexical categories, they don't accept new members very easily. They don't accept new members very easily. So, so why this particular pronoun? Why did this one catch on? So Parkville theorizes that what makes hen like the sticky word is that it fills an actual language gap. Because I think most people who speak and write a gendered language, I think we've all encountered that problem, haven't we? How should I put this he slash she, he and slash or she or whatever? And his proof is actually a new pronoun 
that has been bubbling up in Sweden. You can almost call it like the follow-up pronoun to hen, and that is the new generic pronoun en. So like hen without the h. <laughs> yeah, and that's just incidental. <laughs> okay, so what is a generic pronoun? Yeah, in English, I guess the closest word might be you or one, as in you should know better than going there or something, or right. one should be aware that... In the spring, it rains a lot. I don't. I don't know. You know, one and you mean people in general. Sort of oh like. right, and I, I bet I know the word that this is replacing because Danish and German has it too. Man. Exactly. The traditional generic pronoun in Swedish is man, and it is homophonous with man meaning man, adult male. And I would say, as a linguist, that these are two different words that happen to sound the same. It is historically derived from the word man. Yes, it is. But I would argue that they function differently. So one man is clearly a noun, meaning adult male. The other man sounds the same, has the same historical roots, but is clearly a pronoun. And it means people in general. So... Now, spelt the way spelled yes, they are spelt identically. You can almost guess the rest of the story since they sound the same. Certain people uh, dislike the pronoun "man" because it it conveys a male-centered view of the world, etc., etc. Yeah, I can I can kind of see why people will get like hung up on this. I mean, they don't. It's all very well having a linguist explain to you that the two words are not the same as each other, but they, <laughs> they look and sound the same. So instead they use N. And N translates, literally translates to one in English. Instead of man should not do this, they would say one should not do this. This pronoun N is actually used in some Swedish dialects, according to Mikhail. It's not totally made up. Only the people who use it in this way now are not elderly dialect speakers who have never left their home parish, but 24-year-olds, educated, uh, uh, gender-conscious city dwellers. N has not caught on like hen in the culture. And Parkfall thinks that the reason it hasn't caught on is the same reason that hen has been able to insert itself into Swedish and stick. Hen can be a political marker, but it can also be practical. Whereas this generic N pronoun, it doesn't do anything that we couldn't do yesterday. Oh, right. It's just replacing one word for another rather than putting a word in kind of a hole. It's theoretical and not actually Mm. filling that language gap. So hen is this sort of crossover of two things, a theoretical word or there's an idea and a movement behind it, but it's also a really useful word. How's the news media treating all of this? Today, you'll see the word in newspapers and magazines. Not all newspapers and magazines. Interestingly, it got into the dictionary, so the Swedish Academy put it into the glossary of words, of accepted Swedish words. But the Swedish Language Council, which is kind of like a unofficial arbiter of like what is Swedish and what isn't Swedish, mm. has not officially recognized the word. They have not not recognized the word, but they are recommending people use it, to use the word it, den, 
Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Not, not recognized. Not, not that's really good. Um, and, and what about the government? I mean, uh, when the government puts out, say, you know, a report on the economy or something like this, would they ever throw in a hen if somebody, say, an economist wanted to be referred to that way? It's kind of all over the place. So in 2013, the Minister for Gender Equality, she actually used the word on Parliament floor um, for the first time, kind of in an official sense. And it caused quite a stir, as you can imagine. And so Parliament itself has made an official announcement that HEN should not be used in government documents. However, MPs are free to use it in debates on the floor, and they're also free to use it in written motions. So it's like this sort of, Mm. you know, it's kind of, you know, cutting. Semi-official. Yeah. What is it? What, what's the expression? Cutting hairs or splitting hairs? Splitting so hairs. So certain, yeah, it's just like splitting hairs. And certain municipalities are using it in official documents, but it's kind of all a mishmash. But it does sound as though it's taking hold. Oh, certainly. By the way, how about that poster child for Hen, Anna? Uh, oh, yeah. How does Anna feel about this transformation since? They were on the cover of that magazine however long ago. It was a decade ago. Well, that's kind of interesting. So Anna actually was re-interviewed, and they did a follow-up 10 years later. And Anna uses a different pronoun these days. Now almost everybody calls me she because I'm living as a woman. But it's actually used by some people in at work, for example. I don't think that they really know or are aware of that I was kind of the model for the word, but they actually use it when writing instructions and so on. What does that feel like for you? Yeah, it feels fun. <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> That's good. Thanks to Nina Porzuki for her reporting. Also to Natalie Rothschild, Tina Toby, and Alison Reed. And to The World Radio Program with Marco Werman. With a new edition on your local public radio station or in your podcast app every weekday. Subtitle is a member of the Hub and Spoke Audio Collective. I want to recommend another Hub and Spoke podcast. It's called The Constant. And it's about our fraught relationship with the past. We think we're always learning from the past, improving ourselves. But seriously, do we learn anything? A good place to start with the constant would be a couple of recent episodes, one called It's All a Lie, and the other Don't Know Much About History. They take us back to the year 1729, and a guy who declared that all of history was faked. Good to know those types of people have been around for a while. It's The Constant with host Mark Chrysler. Listen to it along with all the other Hub and Spoke podcasts at hubspokeaudio.org. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm going to repeat our email address, subtitlepod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at LingoPod. And please don't forget to rate and review us. Thank you and see you next time. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.